We all experience moments where heaven feels a bit closer to earth, where we become more aware of how grand creation is, how good our creator is, and how small we really are. And these moments are difficult to manufacture, and they often arrive when we don't expect it. But despite not being able to completely manufacture these experiences, there are some places where time and again, we now at least increase the possibility for these moments of wonder to occur. For me, they arrive when I am on top of a mountain. I remember as a Boy Scout on trips to the Colorado Rockies as a teenager, moments where we hiked up a trail and came to a moment where the trees cleared and you could see for miles. And those trees that looked so big when we were right next to them looked so small in comparison to how massive the mountains were. Mountains that no human hand had in producing. It made me feel small, but small in a good way. It filled me with an awareness of how insignificant I am compared to the grandness of the earth. But also it filled me with gratitude for the God who looks at me, this little insignificant being existing on a planet in a massive universe, with great, great love. And in that moment, and others like it throughout my life, I realized how reliant I am on God for everything. And in the face of such beauty and majesty, it is easy to be in awe of God. These moments of awe and wonder are incredibly important for us. Without them, our connection to God can easily become stale and routine. Without them, we might just begin to fall into the unhealthy rhythm of attempting to bend God to fit our will instead of surrendering our wills to our loving creator. Without them, we might begin to imagine that life is best lived out of certainty leading to pride instead of a deep faith leading to humility. And without them, we can so easily be caught up in our own lives, our own wants, our own desires, that we forget the reality that we are not the center of the universe. And that is a good thing. And I think I'm not the only one who has experienced this when on top of a mountain. In fact, this reality is something that humanity has experienced with mountains from the very beginning. It is no mistake that we find in scripture story after story stretching all the way back to the beginning book of Genesis where people meet God in new and significant ways. Where people encountered something wonderful and amazing when they reached the mountaintop. The story of the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark chapter 9 is part of a section in the gospel of Mark that is a hinge point for the story. As we've seen over the last few weeks, as we've looked at the early chapters of Mark, they're filled with story after story of Jesus healing people, bringing people back to wholeness, performing amazing acts, and people were getting excited and following him. If you go through chapters 2 through the middle of chapter 8, you see more examples of Jesus healing people, as well as Jesus teaching in parables about the kingdom of God, proclaiming that God's kingdom of deliverance and healing had indeed arrived with him. 
And with every healing story, you get the sense that Jesus was overcoming every evil that he encountered. And there was this growing excitement about all that Jesus would and could accomplish during his time on earth. But a decided shift happens in the middle of chapter 8. For that is when Jesus begins to be honest with his disciples about where this journey he is on would lead. He would tell them that it doesn't lead to a throne room in Jerusalem, but to a tomb in the ground. And for the first of three separate times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus declares in chapter 8 that he would suffer and die. Not only that, he also began teaching his disciples that following him meant that they would need to take up their crosses, deny themselves. And that's what following him looked like. That they would have to give up their desire to chase thrones and power and prestige and glory. For in the end, it's not worth it. And in the end, if they chase after it, it would, they would lose their very lives. And you can imagine that these disciples were afraid, confused, possibly filled with doubt. And so Jesus grabs his inner circle of Peter, James, and John and takes them up to this high mountain where they could be by themselves. And what follows is this scene that would have filled with those three disciples with fear and wonder. Jesus is transformed or transfigured before them. They recognize him as Jesus, but there was also something different about him. Echoing the reality that the Israelite people experienced when Moses came down from the mountain in Exodus chapter 34, Jesus' clothes are dazzlingly bright. The brightness no human could repeat. Elijah and Moses are there and they are talking to Jesus. Side note, have you ever wondered how they knew it was Moses and Elijah? Like, were they wearing name tags? <laughs> Did they have a conversation with them? Like, we have just nine, six, seven verses of this story. Did they actually get to interact? with Moses and Elijah? Did Jesus tell them when they were coming down the mountain, oh, by the way, that was Moses and Elijah? Or maybe Mark is trying to communicate through a literary device that these important figures of the Hebrew scriptures, both of whom had mountaintop experiences of their own and often were representatives for the Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets, affirmed the identity and the person of Jesus. Then a cloud overshadows them, and a voice of God appears for the second time in the Gospel of Mark. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus comes out of the water, in the Gospel of Mark at least, Jesus was the only one who heard that voice. This time, Peter, James, and John hear it as well. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Then everything goes back to normal. Jesus tells them to keep silent about this experience until after his resurrection. In these few verses, Peter, James, and John are permitted to see past the veil of Jesus' humanity and experience Jesus not just as their human rabbi, but as the divine son of God. And as the veil between heaven and earth became non-existent for them that day, they were filled with this sense of awe and wonder and fear. And as I read through Mark 9 this week, I couldn't help but long for those moments in my own life. I was filled with a desire to hop into my car and go find one of the mountains that surround us, drive to the top so I could get closer to that experience myself, 
to escape from the seemingly mundane quality of life and put myself in those situations where I've experienced the presence of God in special and unique ways. And while I don't think that is a wrong desire, I can't help but wonder if that desire misses the mark. Much like Peter, who sought to build dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, so he could hold on to that moment forever, missed the mark. A much better response for Peter would have been to take that experience of seeing Jesus transfigured on that mountaintop, allowed it to go deep within him and change the way he saw every moment of his life with Christ. For he was following Jesus around. Every moment of his life was filled with the presence of Christ. How would that have changed his interaction with Jesus if he had done that? How would that have changed his interactions with others, with his friends who traveled with him? How would that have impacted how intently he listened to Jesus from that point in the story on? Because as we see, he still has a hard time listening and understanding. And what about us? We don't get to experience Jesus in dazzling white clothes, but we proclaim in faith that the presence of Christ is alive and active in our world today by the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we really believe that, I can't help but think where we might experience those moments of awe and wonder in our everyday lives and not have to travel to the top of the mountain. Is it possible that we might experience wonder in the eager belly laugh of a baby in response to a strange noise, where goodness and innocence floods into our everyday life, reminding us of God's love and grace? Is it possible that we might experience wonder in the gift of a simple meal with family and friends, realizing each day is a gift of God and provides each of us with opportunities to enjoy and challenges from which to grow. After all, we are never promised tomorrow. Is it possible that we might experience wonder in the sound of singing birds in the morning or owls hooting at dusk or simply taking a moment to look into the sky on a cloudless night? Consider the stars, the vastness of the universe, and how our creative God has called each of the hundreds and millions of stars in our galaxy, not to mention all the other galaxies in the universe, into being. And we could go on and on, exploring how each and every moment of our day, from the time we wake up, to our time at school or work, to our time with friends and family, at the grocery store or at home, are filled with the sacred presence of God's Spirit. And if that is true, then maybe, just maybe, we do not need a car to take us to the top of the mountain. Maybe instead what we need is new eyes to see the beauty and truth and goodness of God's presence in the everyday moments of life. And as we become more aware of wonder all around us, we might just find that it leads us somewhere. Maybe it leads us to silence, like James and John. There are several things I greatly enjoy about living here in Virginia. I know it's only been a month. But one of them is how bright the stars are on cloudless nights. In Georgia, they were all covered by trees. And I have this habit of making a point on those nights. If I'm leaving or coming home, to take a moment and look up and just spend a second in silence. 
In our busy and connected world, we can so easily go from one task to the next and fill every moment of our lives with noise. And I'm guilty of it far more than I would like to admit. But these little moments of staring at stars has the power to draw us into these moments of silence where gratitude can build and we have the greater potential, if only for a moment, to hear the soft voice of God whispering to us. Maybe wonder will lead us to worship. Some scholars wonder if what Peter thought of when he was recommending that he build three dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah was the tabernacle from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. It functioned as the dwelling place for God during their wilderness wanderings. The tabernacle was the place where the Israelites came to offer worship and where the very presence of God was thought to be. And so while I do think Peter wanted to hold on to this experience of wonder for as long as he could, I can't help but think he also had in mind creating this space for worship, the response to wonder. Ultimately, for the disciples who were there that day and for those of us who attempt to follow Jesus in the 21st century, these experiences of wonder should encourage us, first and foremost, to listen to Jesus. For in Jesus, we meet, the Jesus we meet in the gospel teaches some very difficult things. He teaches us that the blessed ones of the world are not the ones who have big houses or nice cars or power or influence or all the possessions we want. But rather, Jesus says the blessed ones are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn. The pure of heart, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, those who show mercy, those who deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow after him. And as we stand at the beginning of Lent this Wednesday, we are invited to live lives awake to the reality, of the presence of God all around us every day. But this sense of wonder should lead us to the very person of Christ. As we enter into the dark days of Lent, these days filled with reflection and repentance, may we be carried forward by those moments of wonder. For the one who shone bright that day is the very one who goes to the cross on our behalf, calls us to repentance, and in whom we find the fullness of life. Albert Einstein, the scientist, once said, there are two ways to live. You can live as if nothing is a miracle. You can live as if everything is a miracle. The most beautiful thing you can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and all science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Brothers and sisters, may we live with, with eyes wide open the awe and wonder, the truth and beauty that surrounds us each and every moment of our lives. Einstein called it a mystery. And to be sure, the God we worship is mysterious. Nobody can claim to know the full depths of God. But in Christ, God can be known. And we are each invited to listen to him, to live like him, and as we do, to find life.